I'm sure there's much more excitement about the uh, road hockey uh, starting up uh, next Sunday now that Mitch Marner has finally signed uh, with the Leafs. We all gave a collective sigh of uh, relief. Um, it's been a little interesting. There have been a number of people who have made comment about me having a jacket on this morning. Um, I also have a tie uh, somewhere. Um, but an interesting thing has, has happened in the apparel industry, I think, in the past few decades. The labels on clothing have moved from the inside to the outside. All through my childhood and, and well into my adulthood, <clears throat> the maker of the clothes I wore was visually indistinguishable. However, now popular clothing manufacturers have readily identified themselves by outward symbols attached to their clothing. And so Nike has its swoosh, and Ralph Lauren has its polo rider, and Izod has an alligator, and Abercrombie and, uh, Abercrombie and Fitch has a moose, Hollister has a seagull, and Lululemon has a styled A. This shift from taking what was inside and displaying it outwardly, though, has got me thinking a bit about the church. More attention and energy in churches is often given to what happens on the inside. While what is seen outside the walls of the church is not readily recognizable. Yet if the church is to fulfill its mission, what happens on the inside needs to translate into outward expressions of the transformative power of the gospel. And so in an effort to take the inside out, we've been working towards clarifying our mission and our vision and our values as a church community. After a number of months of discernment and discussion and debate even and directive prayer, the following mission, vision, and values were embraced. Connecting Rexdale to Jesus and his mission describes our mission as a church community. Transformed by Jesus, transforming communities is our expressed vision as a church community. And our values are prayerful, relational, authentic, humble, courageous, empowering. Now again, a mission statement speaks to our God-given calling as a church, why we exist. Vision expresses a desired future for the church, stating where we are going as a church community. And values are the life-giving qualities that will allow us to fulfill our mission and realize our vision. So why are we giving all of this attention to identifying our mission, vision, values? Well, in short, I would argue because it's biblical. The, the biblical narrative clearly speaks to the mission of God in the world. And the need for a vision to keep us from wandering away from God's direction is constantly given throughout the scriptures. And the, apo the apostolic writings are filled with moral values to keep us in godly form. So for the next several weeks, I will be unpacking with you the mission vision values that will move us from the inside out in keeping with the call of God to bring the presence of Jesus into our community and beyond. So pray with me. And so, Father, as we give this attention to what it is we believe you are forming in us for the call that you've placed upon us to strategically locate us in this community for the advancement of your kingdom, we pray that you will help us to catch a glimpse of what it is you have in mind for us and that we will be a people intent on fulfilling that calling in this area, in which this community, in which you've placed us and beyond, for your honor and glory, for the sake of the kingdom, to bring Jesus back, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when it comes to being on mission with Jesus, I suppose the scripture text that first comes to mind are these concluding words of Jesus to his disciples recorded by Matthew in his gospel text that we often refer to as the Great Commission. Then Jesus came to them, his disciples, and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, over the years, as I have taught on this scripture, I often ask the question, what is the one command that Jesus gives in this great commission? And invariably, someone will say, it's go. And certainly that is what it looks like. But in actuality, the only command that is found in the Great Commission is the one command to make disciples. The other verb forms are participles. And so what Jesus is really commanding us is to make disciples by going, by baptizing, by teaching, and then by never stopping. Keep doing this, Jesus said, until I come. Remember, I will be with you in your going and will make available to you all the authority that has been given to me. Now, I do find that besides missing the one command that Jesus gave here, there are also other misunderstandings that get attached to these words of Jesus, leading to confusion about the intent contained in the Great Commission. Here are three common misleading perspectives that have led to the diluting of the power and passion attached to Jesus' instruction to his followers. Confusion number one, the Great Commission is only for the original disciples. Many see the words of Jesus as directed to the first disciples and therefore carry no relevance to them. They do not see themselves as disciples in the way that Jesus declared in his command and therefore feel no compulsion to engage in the everyday practice of disciple making. But the word disciple simply designates followers of a particular teacher. The term disciple then came to be used in the greater context of describing all who become followers of Jesus. Then Jesus' promise to be with his followers to the end of the age moves the Great Commission beyond the first century in its scope. Obviously, the original twelve apostles did not complete the task of taking the gospel to all the nations before the end predicted by Jesus had come. The fact that the church is still in existence and new followers continue to come to faith in Jesus are indicators that Christ is not finished with his purposes for the world. We are not left off the hook of responsibility by concluding that Jesus only commissioned the original disciples. His mandate is still effective for us today. Confusion number two is that the Great Commission is only for missionaries. This is perhaps the most common confusion linked to the Great Commission. Those of us who have been in church for any length of time have undoubtedly heard a message in which the Great Commission has been used as a text to promote foreign missions. And so it should. However, not to the exclusion of reaching people who are all around us. There has been a misplaced emphasis on the word go in the Great Commission, applying it to distance. The implication has often been that if you are not going overseas or into a cross-cultural setting, you are not really fulfilling Jesus' intention. And so we have been able to excuse ourselves from any serious Great Commission involvement because we have not been called to be a missionary. It is essential that we debug that error and realize that Jesus' true intention was that his followers bring his commission into the context of their everyday experiences, into their communities, for us, Rexdale. Jesus calls his followers to be actively involved in making disciples in their spheres of influence. A church I had visited, or where I actually had done a transitional ministry, much like I'm doing here, has this sign above the exit doors of their sanctuary. You are now entering your mission field. I do not want to minimize the call to vocational missionary service, but simply want us to see that Jesus' call is is for us to have a missions mindset for all of life. Confusion three, the Great Commission is only for those with the gift of evangelism. Dick Eines, in his book, I Hate Witnessing, sums up the feelings of so many. I don't have the gift of evangelism. I can't be involved in Great Commission living. Although evangelism is definitely a part of the Great Commission, it is not an exclusive call to evangelism. Disciple-making is a process that includes more than evangelism. It calls for a a nurturing of faith in the life of a believer. 
Jesus is not simply commissioning evangelists here. He is commissioning disciple-makers, which calls for a much broader emphasis than only bringing people to the point of confessing Jesus as the one who forgives them of their sin and calls them to live a life of obedience to Him. If nurturing does not take place, the discipling process breaks down. Now, by creating all of this confusion, we have stripped the Great Commission of its real greatness and have destroyed the passion embodied in Jesus' original intent. The key to understanding the greatness of the words of Jesus is to embrace them as a commissioning for each of us to engage in his mission to bring people separated from God into right relationship with him. In short, what will make the Great Commission great and keep us on mission with Jesus is when we hear his call as a personal directive. Well, to help us understand what that could look like, I'd like to draw your attention to what I believe is an account of disciple-making in progress found in the book book of Acts in chapter 8. I would like to consider this story with you and point out some lessons for helping us stay on call to make disciples. So listen to the account as I read it and as you see it on the screen. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out. And on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading the passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice, who can speak of his descendants. For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. So what can we learn from this? Well, I want this story to help us learn how to stay on call in our mission to make disciples. And so first of all, I would suggest that we need to see ourselves in the picture. Philip responded so readily to the angel's instruction because he was anticipating God's leading in his life. He saw himself being an integral part of what God was up to in the world. And so let me ask, what do you anticipate God has in mind for you? How are you expecting God to make a difference in people's lives through you? Where are you looking to be on mission for God? If you do not see yourself in the picture of what God is painting for this world, it is likely you will miss out on the brushstrokes He has prepared for you to make. Know this, God has a place for you in His world mission. So get the picture. Next, make a start. Make a start. Every great accomplishment begins or needs to have a starting point. At a given time, someone took a risk and begins. And so Philip started out on the road to Gaza. He didn't know all that was before him, but he made a start. And at some point, if we are to stay on mission with Christ, we will will need to make a start in connecting with people around us. By initiating conversations, by taking the lead in showing kindness, by being the first to walk across the room and introduce ourselves. It doesn't have to be dramatic. But we do need to begin somewhere, somehow. Yes, I suppose this can be a little scary. Possibly more scary for some than for others. 
So this next point is crucial to our understanding of how we go about making disciples. Let the Spirit of God lead. Give space to the Spirit. Remember Jesus' words to the eleven disciples he commissioned. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus has released his authoritative power in his followers through the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit who directs us and empowers us to stay on mission with Jesus. We see this in Philip's response to God's call. As he made his way along the road to Gaza, Philip encountered a chariot carrying a foreign diplomat. The scripture text identifies this traveler as an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all of the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. When Philip encountered this man, the Holy Spirit told him to go and position himself near the chariot. For Philip, this leading from the Holy Spirit would have been a stretch to his conscience. To be asked to come alongside a sexually altered, black-skinned official from northern Africa who was undoubtedly way above his pay grade would have shaken Philip's comfort structure to the core. This move of the Spirit in Philip's life and his willingness to follow through serves as a challenge to us in our people involvements. Most of us have people to whom we are are naturally drawn and about whom we think they are likely candidates for discipleship. What we are not prepared for is when the Spirit taps us on the shoulder and asks us to get close to those with whom we have spiritual, moral, or ethical hang-ups. As Philip discovered, these people matter to God. And so when we are freed from making preferential judgments about others, we discover that we never really know what God may be up to in a person's life and how He wants us to share in His redemptive plan for their lives. The Holy Spirit is our source of discovery for making a God-ordained difference in others. And when, we, and when we learn to hear and listen to His voice, we have made a huge step towards the fulfillment of Christ's mission in the world. Well, once we are in tune with the Holy Spirit, then we can know what to say. The Spirit certainly guided Philip in his response to this spiritually seeking official. However, Philip had done his homework. When he discovered where the Ethiopian was in his understanding of God's revelation to him, Philip knew what to say to lead him further into the discovery of the good news wrapped up in Jesus. The Apostle Peter speaks to the importance of having thought through what we will say when the opportunity comes to explain the reason for our faith in Jesus when he stated, But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. This means that we need to know what to say when God provides us with the opportunity to introduce someone to the forgiveness of sin provided in Jesus. Advanced preparation is required in our mission to make disciples. And so the disciple training announcement just made by Pastor Cheryl is designed to help prepare you in knowing who you are as a disciple of Jesus. This will cover off how to grow in the discipleship process as well as schooling you in how to make disciples. So again, let us urge you to join the informational session next Sunday at either 9 o'clock or 11 in the fireside room. So here we have it. Staying on call and fulfilling Christ's mission for us, we need to see ourselves in the picture of God's redemptive plan for the world. We need to make a start at getting involved, learning to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. And we need to school ourselves in knowing what to say when presented with an opportunity to speak speak up for what we believe. Well, to help us to get a glimpse into what seeing ourselves in the picture of God's redemptive plan for the world could look like, I've invited three individuals from our church community who have engaged in tangible expressions of the mission of Jesus to have a conversation with me. And it is my hope that we will learn from their experience and see how being on mission has shaped them. And so join me in welcoming Cynthia, Derek, and Grace to uh, the stage here this morning. Come and join me, folks. And you can applaud, yes. 
because 90% of you out there wouldn't dare join me up here on this uh, place, would you? I've been told by the staff that I should sit on the soft chair. Uh, they, I guess they want the old guy to kind of uh, uh, sit here or whatever. So, hey, Derek, Grace, Cynthia, thanks for joining me here this morning and just engaging in this conversation. Um, we know that God has been prompting you and you've gotten involved in, in some tangible expressions of advancing his kingdom. And uh, so uh, we will uh, I'd just like to have a conversation with you. But first of all, before we kind of launch into uh, some questions I have, just, just take a moment to explain to us or tell us the, the mission involvement that you have been or are, are in, involved in uh, through our, our, our church uh, community. And uh, uh, Derek, why don't we start with you and we'll move this way. Okay. Hi, I'm uh, Derek Edwards, and uh, I was involved in a local cross-cultural mission trip to First Nations community up in uh, Manitoulin Island. So we were there for the, it had begun in, uh, oh, there we are, (laughs) Uh, 2010. And so we're continuing on providing a day camp for youth, uh, children and youth, and uh, an evening and afternoon program for them. Uh, throughout the week, and so it was all about just engaging youth in uh, in that. Super. Grace. Hi, I'm Grace LaRocque, and um, um, I'm involved with uh, Rush Hour on Thursdays at lunch and the Discovery Group on Friday at lunch, and I think, Sam, it's been over 20 years, correct, that Rush Hour's been going? But the Discovery Group has just was just started um, several years ago because we felt... First of all, I should tell you, Rush Hour is a drop-in program for the students at Thistletown Collegiate Institute. They come over here, they get a free lunch, lots of activities, and, and spiritual uh, teaching about God, about Christ and Christianity, either through videos or talks or games or whatever, but they get that every week. And then we really felt a couple of years ago that in order to go deeper, we needed to have some of the kids separate, so we said... Um, if you would like to go deeper about God and Christ, then come on Fridays, you'll get free pizza. And last year we did Christianity Explored, which is a video series aimed at youth who are not churched. And um, yeah, it's, Super. it's uh, something else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Super. All right. Cynthia. So my name is Cynthia, and um, this summer I had the opportunity to join the On Missions Spain team. Um, And along with three other ladies and two of our head leaders, we were able to support um, Rupin and Lena Zaitlin and um, providing a day camp just as Derek did. Um, And so, yeah, so we were able to run programs during the day. It was an overnight camp, so I was exhausted a lot of the time. (laughs) Um, But no, it was a great experience. So, you know, we had this, I gave this account, this story of, of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch and, you know, kind of talked about seeing ourselves in the picture and saying yes to, to them. What prompted you to say yes to these kinds of tangible kingdom expressions? Uh, just talk to us a little, a little bit about that. And uh, Grace, I'm going to ask you if you would start at, by answering that question, and then uh, Derek and Cynthia, you can kind of join in. Well, long before I retired, um, Mark Gagnon was on the platform doing exactly what we're doing right now. (laughs) And he talked about drop-in, which is what rush hour used to be called. And I'm convinced it was the Holy Spirit just planted the seed in my head and said, when you retire, you can do that. And I was really excited about it. So... um, so when I did retire, I, I, I always, my husband and I always said, when we retired, we're not going to sit on a beach in Florida, because that isn't the Great Commission. We are, how can I, what can we do to, to add to God's kingdom, to, to serve him? And so, um, anyhow, I uh, went to Pastor Sam after I retired, and that was six years ago. <laughs> okay, okay. Um. Okay, well, uh, Sue and I wanted to, to do something using our gifts and talents uh, at the church, and we wanted to get involved in some practical way. And so I think that for us it was using our, our spiritual gifts in, in that we are both teachers, and I think that that helped. But so when, we, when uh, Scott and Laura Lee asked us to, to help lead it, we, we just felt this is something that we could do in the summer 
being teachers, we had some time and we could do that. And uh, so, and, and it involved children and it involved our passions. So we thought, you know what, this is an opportunity. It seems like God is calling us and we felt led to do it. And so that's how it, it started in our hearts. Okay. How about you, Cynthia? Uh, so for me, I had the desire kind of placed in my heart a couple of years ago to um, go on a, a missions trip, but I didn't really have the opportunity at hand. Um, and this year, I actually chose the word growth to focus on for the year and see how the Lord would bring that about. Um, and so this missions trip was a great big part of that. Okay, super. So tell us, what did you learn about relating to the people with whom you connected or to whom you felt called or sent? Um, okay, well, the First Nations people um, have been through a lot of hurt in the, in the past. And, and so, you know, for us, I, I think... We, we knew that, but as we went there, the, the people in Shiging, the First Nations, um, didn't display that to us. There wasn't any, you know, kind of uh, apprehension or anything. They were very forgiving. They were very understanding people. So we learned that, that they were, um, you know, compassionate and caring and accepting of us. And I think part of that had to do with um, they got to know us. And they got to, to see that we were committed to, to providing a day camp for them and for, their, and for their children. And I think through that commitment, they saw that there was, and so it built trust. And as there was trust, I think it was really like, okay, you know, we, we learned that, that through them, even though through the hurts and the loneliness and the depression and things that happen in communities like that, they, they were not that towards us. And they were very uh, accepting, loving, and forgiving, which was encouraging. Hmm. Great, great. Um, well, I think some people would be terrified to work with t- secular teenagers from high school. And uh, so um, when I began working at Rush Hour, and I, the first year I was the cook. I can't believe I did that because I hate cooking. <laughs> Anyhow, but I was. But then um, for physical reasons, I couldn't be the cook anymore. And Sam asked me if I would become the coordinator, and I said, yeah, I could, that would be good. And one of the first things I did was um, I set up two expectations for them. I said to the students, um, we're so happy you're here. We're glad you're our guests, but we do have two expectations. They were the two expectations I always used with kids. You have to be safe and you have to be polite. And they were. <laughs> that changed a lot of things that had happened, I guess, from before I, I was there. But... Um, the other thing I learned is you need just to be friendly. Like um, coming down the street the other day, I was come walking to the church, and there were a whole bunch of kids came out of the, the high school. And these ones I haven't met yet. They might have been new kids. I don't know. I just stopped. They were at the bus stop. I just said, hey, rush hour starting next week. I already started promoting it, Sam. <laughs> and they were like, what? And I said, you're going to get a free lunch. You want to come? Oh, I said, look for us. We're going to be sending, uh, handing out bulletins soon. So they said, oh, that sounds really good. But um, I think that later, oh, you'll ask us a question, and if you listen to some of the responses, I would give a survey each year to the kids. It's going to blow you, blow you away for secular teenagers. Okay. I think for me it was definitely um, the value of being real and open with um, just anyone around you, um, both with the leaders that were with us and then with the youth that we were able to work with. Um, we just saw a really like big impact. Um, just having the courage to like share your story and not being afraid of your mess has great impact. Okay, uh, Cynthia, I, I'm I'm interested that the word growth was kind of your word at at, at the beginning of of the the uh, the year. I'd, I'd like I'd like you to um, all of you to talk a little bit about. Um, some of the evidence of transformation that you have seen, either with, within yourself or within the individuals that, uh, that, that you've been working with. So uh, talk to us a little bit about that. Uh, are you okay to lead us in that? Yes, definitely. Okay. Um, okay, yeah, so just kind of continuing where I left off. Um, I think for me, um, where growth started and then where I've been seeing transformation, again, tying into just being vulnerable with others. Um, and one thing God's really been teaching me lately is not being scared of your mess or not being scared of your failures. Um, and so just being willing to dive into that and um, coming free and open before others like that um, without shame. 
And so I was able to do that there in Spain and continue to do that here. And I saw um, there's actually one night in particular that um, we were just sharing our testimonies for the youth there. And it was myself along with three other um, individuals from the team that came from Canada. And um, just seeing some people, it was for the first time that they were opening up to anybody about their stories. Um, And so that was a big growth step for them personally. And um, just from there, I think that was kind of like a little seed that was planted and hopefully that continues into their everyday life. Good. Um, Well, at Rush Hour and the Discovery Group, I'm combining the the, the, um, transformations together. We basically have had um, eight teens give their lives to Christ. We've had one baptism. Uh, We've had several grads, meaning they've graduated from, not us, but from (laughs) high school, um, that came to Rush Hour and made no commitment, but came back years later to tell us that because of Rush Hour, they did become a Christian, including a Muslim family, a Muslim person whose whole family became Christians. Um, And then... The surveys, when we asked the kids, why do you think Rexdale Alliance Church hosts Rush Hour for you? They said they want to show us God's love, to bring others close to God, to teach us about religious in a fun and friendly way, uh, to learn things, building strong relationships, uh, to teach you about Christianity and God, because we need to learn about God, uh, to get us close to share Jesus, to get us close to God and be good Christians so we can learn about the church and God. And the list just is very long. So, <laughs> But then there was a couple of other questions that we had asked on the survey. Um, well, the first time last year I asked, would you like to know more about God? And 84 of the respondents said yes. Hmm. Secular hmm. teenagers. Hmm. And I loved how you said in the sermon uh, not to, to, to prejudge, not to... So don't prejudge those TCI kids. They, they are spiritually aware. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, one other comment that I really liked was I asked many other comments, and uh, one, one student wrote back, my new Jesus. Hmm. And hmm. there was a whole bunch of other ones. I can leave the paper out, lady. Come on. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, yeah, I think because we're engaging in, in children and youth, I, I think they're transformed every day. And I think every, actually every minute uh, that they're part of that camp. And, you know, as children, when you're singing songs um, and, you're, and you're going through Bible stations and you're, you're doing uh, things like that, they're, they're being changed uh, as, as they go through these, this program. They're, they're engaging in, in loving team members who want to invest in them too, and they're seeing that. And again, the commitment and the trust that's built over the years. So we've seen this in Chigin because mm-hmm. of teams and people like many of you know who and have gone on them yourselves. So you know that these children look forward to it. They come back, and the parents want them to come. And they're, oh, yeah, oh, it's Daystar. Daystar Day Camp. Great. Can't wait for it. You know? and, and they're, they're, so they're being transformed, and we see it. And we know that as they sing those songs, those uh, you know, worship songs and things, they're going to keep singing them, hopefully, as, as they grow older, too. So you know, they're, it, it's exciting to see, especially from the Monday to the Friday. And by this time, you see them on the Friday and the things that they want. To, and, they're all, and the exciting things are you know, they, they're, they're taking Bibles, and at the end, you know, they're doing that. And uh, you know, that's ex- exciting. Specifically, we look at leadership and training as well. So there's tons of transformation in discipleship. And as we go back and we have discipleship and we have, because they can be involved in the day camp and the actual Chiging teenagers can be involved, it's so uh, exciting. And so one particular um, girl who was there had a lot of loneliness, had a lot of, um, she just had a lot of fears. She had a lot of insecurities, low self-esteem. And um, she wasn't with us a lot. Two years ago, she did a leadership and training. And uh, this year she came back and she was involved as a group leader uh, in one of the, I think it was grade one and twos. And it was so exciting to see her engaging and using, just happy to use her skills and her talents and her gifts and to be loved and to know and to talk to teenagers who were on the team. You know, I'd wish that some uh, teenagers were here talking too because of how it impacts them, you know, as from the church. And uh, and so they're investing in her. And so at the end... Um, at the talent show, she is singing and dancing at the talent show to something that she had choreographed herself. And then at the campfire, she accepted Jesus Christ in her heart. 
and we were able to give her a Bible and just continue on on that faith journey. So things like that are transformational for us and for our growth and, and to see God moving through the Holy Spirit, but also, of course, through them and the and local people. Okay. Just one last question for you all. Um, how has your experience helped to shape your understanding and pursuit of the mission of Jesus going forward? I think for me it was definitely that um, God doesn't know the definition of barriers. Hmm. Um, and so I was just learning a lot that sometimes you might not understand what you're going through or why you're going through it. Um, and it just goes to show how much bigger than yourself um, the picture is. And you're kind of talking about, like, the big picture. Hmm. Um, that, like, sometimes, you know, you get into your everyday life um, in the mundane and the monotony, but, like, what you perceive it to be isn't what it actually is, and God will use whatever it is that you're going through mm. for something so much bigger. Um, and so um, I, I just had the words ripple effect come to me yesterday, actually, that um, what you say and what you choose to share with other people, and again, tying back into like um, sharing your mess or sharing your progress with other people has a ripple effect. Um, and that has the potential to do so much in the lives of others if you just have the courage to do so. Hmm. Wow. Thank you. Grace? Well, I really can say that uh, I feel that Rush Hour and this discovery group completely match the mission statement connecting Rexdale to Jesus and his mission. You just have to cross the street, or they just have to cross the street. And our vision statement about transformed by Jesus, transforming communities just I hope some of those evidence stories show that that's been happening. Mm. And since this is the last question, I just want to ask two things. If you would like to participate somehow, (laughs) first of all, if you buy pizzas at Grab a Pizza over at the Elmhurst Plaza, there's an envelope with this form at the welcome desk, and if the white chit you get from them, if you put that in there, we, every 10 pizzas that we get, we get a free pizza. So last year I got, I don't know, maybe um, 10 free pizzas because people filled up. So I'm going to put in the bulletin, but I want you to see the form, okay? <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing that happened last year was, unfortunately, due to physical moves, we lost about six or seven members, and we are recruiting. <laughs> so don't be afraid of those TCI students. Read the list. Good. All right. Thank you. Um, yeah, I think I think when you start in January with 10 people um, <laughs> and for the team and you know you need about 28 to do a day camp, it just it builds your faith because you're saying we're committed, God, and we know and we trust that you'll provide. And he did. Amazing 28 people who with team unity and excitement, you know, um, and people that joined on and, and lift church, you know, uh, you know, partnering with them and so many miracles along the way. Um, I think it just it just totally you know yeah get involved because as you commit and it's a bit of step of faith <laughs> you know as we of course trust and but we're committed and God if you want this to happen God can make it happen because our theme was you know we trust in His Holy Spirit and it was uh, you know hope for the next generation but it was totally Holy Spirit it was not by might nor by power but by my Spirit mm. and it totally was because as we see and you know when you ask kids what what you know, what did they enjoy most? And they say it was the, uh, the Bible skit and the Bible skit and, or play that helped introduce the Bible at the Bible station. That's just amazing because you know that that's what they're looking forward to and that was what they really enjoyed in the camp. And it wasn't just the sports, which I thought it would be because sports is awesome, right? Because that's <laughs> my station. But, uh, you know, no, it was like, and then you're giving out all your Bibles and all your coloring, Bible coloring books and you give them all out and they all accepted them. I'm like, that's just awesome. So it's yeah. those sort of things yeah. that are exciting. Hey, thanks for hearing the call and getting involved. Thanks for sharing. Well, well, that was uh, inspiring for me, and 
we, uh, I gave them some questions, but we didn't rehearse any of this. It's just so great to, to hear, their, hear their hearts. Um, but so far, I, I guess I've really been just addressing our stated mission uh, statement, connecting Rexdale to Jesus and his mission. So the question is, how, how do we make this happen? Um, that's the answer, the question answered by our vision statement, that we will become personally transformed by Jesus and then become involved in transforming the communities in which we have opportunity to connect. But I wrestled with how to practically unpack the intent of this statement. And I finally settled on a model that Jesus provides for us in John's Gospel, chapter 8, verses 2 through 11. I'm not going to read the uh, entire passage. I'm just going to tell this story. It's a story about a woman caught in adultery who has been dragged up before Jesus by the religious leaders of the day as Jesus taught the crowds at the temple, making a public spectacle of her. Their intent was to rile up the crowd against this woman in order to press Jesus on whether this woman should be stoned as the law of Moses commanded. And in doing so, they have made the woman into a depersonalized object and have distanced themselves from her so that they can aim their perverse anger at her. The law, the hidden fabric of the Jewish community, has been exposed, and Jesus is placed smack dab in the middle of the letter of the law and asked to take sides. Amazingly, Jesus is silent. He slips off the place where he has been seated as he taught the crowds, and he begins doodling in the sand. In a stunning display, Jesus refuses to get sucked in by the violence of his culture on the terms outlined by those pressing the accusation. In an unrelenting display of collective wrath, the, 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 leaders, the religious leaders of the day keep pushing Jesus to give his answer. And so finally, Jesus stands and addresses them. Okay, you righteous and religious zealots, you have made your point. So here is my response. Let the one who has never broken any law, who has never sinned, lead the way in throwing the first stone. And after saying this, Jesus again stooped down and resumed his writing in the dust. As he resumes his silent stance, the perverse enjoyment lurking in the minds of the Pharisees is exposed. No longer stoning is an option. They suddenly see themselves in the outlandishness of the moment. The antagonism is broken and the violence flitters away as one by one the accusers disperse. The woman is left in the presence of Jesus, cleared of all strife and violence and anger. In writing about this incident, David Fitch observes, In the same way as Jesus, we too must refuse to enter the violence of the world's antagonisms and the underlying fabric of hatred, self-righteousness, and injustice. Only after all this is dissipated and Jesus can ask, uh, Woman, where are your accusers? Is space cleared for Jesus to work? Simply by doing this, we peacefully disrupt the enemy-making machine and make space for the presence of Christ to become real so true healing and reconciliation can begin. To be clear, Jesus did not throw righteousness under the bus. Once the scribes and the Pharisees have left, Jesus can reassert the true sense of the law. After the woman is released from the violence of hate and antagonism, Jesus does go on to say, You are forgiven. You are free. Now go in the way of righteousness and choose to sin no more. And so Jesus rewrites the labels we all too often place on people, exposing the true character behind the antagonism that we try so hard to hide making them and us reflections of his redeeming presence. In Jesus, space is opened up for transformation to happen, 
for the replacing of a torn fabric of our society with one that displays the reality of healing and reconciliation. Interestingly, in the account, we know what happened to the religious leaders that day. They wandered off in disgrace. And we know what happened to the woman accused of adultery. She found newness of life. But what about those who watched all of this? What do you think may have happened to the crowd as this scene unfolded before them? I can't help but think a stirring of transformational presence made its way through the crowd that day. They were introduced to relational space that would be unlike anything they had witnessed to this point. And in one way or another, they could never be quite the same. Which brings me to ask this question. As a church community, can we be this Jesus to Rexdale? Can we make space for his presence in our lives and in the lives of those around us? Can we become his reconciling, peaceful presence in the world of strife around us? Can we be used by God to bring his healing, transforming power into the world? I kind of sense that there may be a collective yes, we can. That's filtering through this space right now. And so I'd like to invite you to do something that we've talked about as our planning service I'm going to ask some people that we've identified to come and stand with, with some cards that we have prepared with our mission vision statement. And so as I'm talking, those who are going to help us here, just come and stand across the front and up in the balcony. We thought about, you know, how can we get this in your hands and what would be the best way of, of maybe bringing this to you so that you made it a part of, of your, your environment, your space, put it up on your fridge or put it in your Bible or put it on your dresser or, or, or some way. And we thought, well, maybe, you know, we could have the, uh, the, the, the ushers hand them out as you leave or, or we could put them in the bulletin or whatever. But we thought, no, I think there's another way that may help us get a little more involved in actually responding. And so I'm just going to ask you, if you have a yes in your heart to those questions that we just posed, if you have a yes in your heart to being on mission and in in connecting Jesus, uh, connecting Rexdale to Jesus and his mission, if you have in your heart that you want to be transformed by Jesus and you want to be whatever, you can, whatever transforming influence you can be, if you have it in your heart that you want to be prayerful, prayerful, and you want to be relational, and you want to be authentic, and you want to be humble, and you want to be courageous, and you want to be empowering, we're just going to invite you to just stand up from where you're seated and come and receive from these who are at the front this card and take it back with you. So without any further uh, instruction i'm just going to invite you to come and receive these cards and take them with you
we send uh, people out from our congregation out on missions, experiences, and tangible expressions of the kingdom of God out there, we, we often have a time of commissioning with them. And so I thought, why don't we have a commissioning prayer this morning for us? And so I'm going to ask you to stand uh, with me. And uh, I know we've gone a little later this uh, morning than we normally do, but hey, this is important stuff. And I'd like to lead us in prayer. And you may want to just hold this in your hand. You may want to put it next to your heart. You want to put it somewhere where uh, it might demonstrate your realizing that uh, this is something that you want to be a part of. And uh, I'm just going to lead us in prayer. And then we'll uh, have a couple of announcements in, in sending. Father, with all our hearts, We long to be transformed by Jesus and involved in your transforming presence in this world. And so we say yes. We don't know what that all means. We don't know what you have in mind for us, but we say yes to you. Yes, we will be on mission with Jesus. And so as we commit ourselves to you, we pray that your spirit will fall on us in mighty, empowering power and that we will be so transformed that wherever we go, we will carry your presence with us, sometimes intentionally, sometimes not, because we are just infilled by you and you are radiating your presence in and through us in this community where we heard that story that started us off about the shooting that took place. Oh God, make us change agents, we pray. And so we receive from you this call and we move forward in faith and trust and boldness. In the name of Jesus, amen. We do have those who will be uh, prepared to pray for any who may want to have uh, prayer for. I want to remind you, too, that the cafe after the summer hiatus is is open. And uh, just for today, just for today, there's free coffee. And on that goodwill, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit go with you all. Amen.